back to the Four Idle Hands podcast. Welcome back, Terry. It's a new year and uh, uh, it's blowing a hoolie outside. I think it'd be fair to say. Well, we're onto the ninth game storm of the of the of the winter, which um, and uh, which it's obviously the day we're recording this is it's calmed down, but I'm sure a lot of places aren't actually. So, but it does feel we've had one weather front after another after the snow, which I, I do quite like the snow actually, but. Yeah, seventy-four mile an hour uh, gust in Edinburgh last night. Um, no damage done. Uh, just looks pretty normal outside now. A bit grey and a bit dark, and um, yeah, just typical January, I'd say. <laughs> I was watching the uh, highlights of the Scottish Scottish Cup at the weekend, and the, the worst one I saw was Dumbarton against Rangers because the the wind was the wind was blowing into the camera, and the pitch looked awful, and it just looked like a dreadful. It was Saturday night, I think. It looks like a terrible night to watch football anywhere, sort of thing. So, um, compared to, well, we're going to get to it, but compared to Toulouse yesterday, which was bathed in sunshine and looking quite nice, actually. But uh, yeah, uh, and uh, unfortunately, the um, uh, inclement conditions didn't help Bucky Thistle one bit. You would expect they'd be used to playing in a gale force win, but uh, didn't do them any good yesterday. No, that was was it five 0 in the end. Five nil, yeah. I mean, I don't think they would have expected much better than that, actually. So, well, it, it, indeed, right. Uh, well, let's just a quick rundown what we're going to be talking about today. We've got an interview with uh, uh, the Moving Pictures band who played in Aberdeen recently, and um, we'll talk about the uh, one of the gigs that uh, we both attended. Um, just in terms of general news, we'll talk a bit about Aberdeen and um, some recent closures in the city. It's not looking great in terms of the retail or hospitality side of the city at the moment. Uh, we've got some sports stuff. We have uh, rugby. Obviously, we're about to head into the uh, Six Nations before too long, but uh, we've got a, a couple of rugby things to talk about in terms of the Champions Cup draw. And uh, Mr. Reese Zamet departing for the NFL um, and leaving all his uh, Welsh fans in tears. And uh, also, Manchester United have appointed a new CEO. We'll be talking about that. I've got a couple of reviews. Uh, Terry's going to talk about uh, British Lion, Steve Harris's band who played in Aberdeen recently and uh, we'll be casting a BDI over at BBC's The Tourist which has been ongoing over the last couple of weeks. Right Terry, let's start with Aberdeen in January. And it's a bit bleak and I, I do feel I feel bad, you know we had this, we talked to them last year actually, the, the Our Union Street um, people who were going to revitalise the street and had plans in place and I do. We talked about this yesterday. Actually, I do feel that those plans are kind of almost becoming, um, I don't know, overtaken by events of retail. Obviously, we have Marks and Spencers on the Union Street, which is one of the biggest sort of retail outlets on Union Street, closing in. Well, let's say twenty twenty five. And there's also, I mean, we had the one recently. Red Robin Records wants to look for funding to keep open. There's all of Alexander's bar and restaurant shutting immediately. The W.H. Smith's closing at the far end of Union Street as well. Yes, uh, and the post office within it as well is going. Yeah. So you'll have to go down George Street if you want to post your letters. Yeah, so they are. I mean, Markies are going to open up an expanded store at the Union Square, but you know, I just feel that's not going to help Union Street one little bit, I don't think. Uh, very, very, very grey January, I would say, no matter how people spin it positively. I think it's certainly not a, not a positive message for folks. So. No, I'm sure things will improve, but um, definitely the, the sort of blighting of the, the city centre continues and uh, hearing all sorts of horror stories about, uh, uh, you know, cost implications of, um, uh, you know, inflation and, uh, you know, increases in the living wage mm-hmm. affecting um, businesses and hospitality. So a lot of pubs and restaurants are struggling at the moment. So if you... 
you yeah, do get a chance to get out in January, um, give them a wee bit of support, they can certainly do with it. Yeah, I mean they're doing. I mean, that's, they're doing. I think it's this week actually. They're doing the Aberdeen Restaurant Week, so you know it's fairly. You know, like that get people out. They offer deals to to go out into January. It's, it's around payday, so people have got money to spend. And in February, they do have this Spectre Festival, which last year was certainly it was spectacular in the city. It looked fantastic, and it was certainly busy in the city. But in the evenings, and I don't, I don't think the city. I mean, the city benefited obviously from the footfall, but not the shops and. You know, people weren't spending money at night. They were buying teas and coffees and maybe some food or something. But, um, you know, we needed events. And I was talking to somebody, actually, funny enough, at the, uh, we'll come to it about the British Lion gig at the Lemon Tree. And one of the ladies I met there had worked at the Comedy Festival, which had been in 2022. And um, she was just talking about that. I said, yeah, what happened to the Comedy Festival last year? Because that ran for two or three weeks and they had events on during the day and in the evenings and stuff. And she goes, yeah, they just they just, they just didn't do it. And I'm, I don't know why. I'm guessing budget. And True North didn't happen either. More events and things, and um, you kind of wonder, yeah, if Aberdeen's sort of struggling to get any kind of traction on these things. But yeah, I think you know, uh, in terms of culture and that, the place is uh, you know just breathing fumes at the moment. And uh, you've got uh, big venues like Teka that you know, or P and J Live, whatever you'd like to call it, um, maybe not drawing as many um, sort of notable bands or acts in as as they might have. Uh, expected and they got the further pressure now of um the promoter who runs the o2 in london um seeking planning permission for a big yeah. uh, venue in edinburgh park eight and a half thousand capacity so you know one could foresee uh, a time where um bands will probably play glasgow and edinburgh and then scurry off down south again without going any further north yeah it is annoying and you see i can't remember who it was i was looking at the weekend and they were doing um they were doing Glasgow. Did they were doing Edinburgh. They were doing Glasgow. I don't know who it was now. Glasgow. And then, of course, no no sign of any gigs in Aberdeen. And I asked them, you know, I implied on social media, I went, you know, why don't you go any further north or somewhere else? And I guess it's just the cost of coming up here, you know. But but the, the music hall, the Tree, are good sized venues. They make money on it, you would think. And I'm pretty sure Aberdeen, they do tend to charge a bit of a premium on tickets and stuff, Um, I think. Um, yeah. So, so I, I don't know if it's a supply and demand thing or whether. Maybe some promoters are not prepared to take a risk at the moment because, um, you, you know, costs are going up all over the place and um, they they need certainty that they're going to get bums and seats for any of these acts coming up. Yeah, because there's not many. I mean, I'm just I'm going to next weekend, next week I'm going to see Depeche Mode, which is in Glasgow. And a couple of weeks after that, I'm going to see the 1975, which is also in, in the Hydro. And they did come to Aberdeen last time, but it certainly, oddly, wasn't sold out and they'd moved the stage forward. You know, so it wasn't it was just before COVID, so maybe that had something to do with it, but it, you know, it wasn't sold out. So you kind of wonder, you know, these big acts like Girls Aloud are doing a tour and they're coming to Aberdeen and it's sold out. You know, um, who's the guy that Neil Niall Horan's playing Aberdeen and it's sold out? Yeah. Um, but you're not finding the kind of other bands that you would think expect to come to Aberdeen coming anymore. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and yeah, you know, we'll we'll maybe talk about. Uh... You, you know the content that uh, the smaller venues are are relying on. Uh, once once we've uh, played the moving pictures interview, because you know there there do appear to be uh, a lot of tribute uh, bands playing these venues rather than uh, yeah. bands playing playing um, original material. Well, one just one thing on that was interesting. So next, I think next week is Independent Venue Week, and I was looking at you know what was on. I thought, oh, there'll be some stuff on, and that, there was nothing outside. There was the Mac. Shields, Gala Shields Art Centre, yeah. Glasgow, Edinburgh, lots of things on. Um, I think Radio 6 were doing an event in Glasgow, maybe, or Edinburgh. Um, 
nothing north of the Central Belt, nothing. Perth, Dundee, Aberdeen, Inverness, nothing. Um, I'm going to try and go to see a gig in Belfast next Monday, actually, in the if I can get across. But then I thought that's kind of poorer, you know, for to have, there is Drummonds. I mean, there's another event, the tunnels and so on. They could have had maybe they didn't apply for it. Maybe it's not worth their money. Maybe have to pay for it. I don't know. But yeah. Okay, um, on to sport now. Um, well, uh, Aberdeen are still in the Scottish Cup. That's good yeah, news. Yeah. <laughs> got, oh, well, got, I'm really pleased that they've got a draw with Bonnie Rig Rose. Yes. Oh, yes. So, uh, U UFO capital of Scotland, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. That's Bonnie Bridge. We've got the wrong one. <laughs> but no, I think that's like, I like those kind of stories where it's like, you know, you know, small team against big teams, especially when they're coming to Aberdeen as well. If it, I mean, if even, they'd have a, had a chance down there, but I think that's great, actually. I watched Aberdeen against Clyde on Friday night, which was pretty standard win sort of thing. But, um, yeah, no, that's... Yeah, uh, and, and then, you know, keeping with football, uh, we, we've had, uh, um, you know, the beginning of the um, uh, Ineos era at uh, Manchester United with... Um, Dave Brailsford uh, rearing his ugly head again uh, <laughs> and uh, starting to interfere with the run of the club. And um, they have announced uh, that they have pinched uh, Manchester City CEO, a guy called Omar Omar Barada, who I must confess I've never heard no, of. No, no. And that uh, this is going to be the start of the, the new football structure for, for a club which has been Foundering, I think it'd be fair to say, Terry, over the last ten years or so. I think so. You've seen Brailsford actually when you watch the highlights. They always they've always got a camera on the in the stand. They always show who's there, sort of thing. And there's always Fergie sitting there looking on. And you've seen Brailsford sitting beside him and Jim Ratcliffe as well. And you kind of wonder what's going on there. Would they ask his advice or would they ignore it? Or you know, I don't know. But um, and the guy from City, that's quite a big, quite bold. Unless he was rubbish, of course. In which case, they got him on the cheap, maybe. But. Well, we, we, we don't know, do we? I mean, um, the the big uh, part of the uh, Manchester City infrastructure was put together by the two Spanish guys, uh, Ferran Soriano and yeah. Ziki Begerstein. So those are the two guys, I, I think, that um, uh, worked out a system for playing. And also, I suppose, probably, uh, you know, it was always planned that Guardiola would take up the coaching job there. Yeah. Uh, so it was all about focus on that. So who are United going to put in there as a manager? It'd be fair to say, I think Ten Hag's not going to last, is he? Oh, and, and as you kindly pointed out last weekend, that Jose is available again. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, dreadful. That would be absolutely dreadful, like so. Yeah, and, and sticking with Manchester United, news is broken this morning, Terry. The music event of the year, uh, oh. Cantona sings. Uh, Cantona sings Eric at Aberdeen Music Hall on Saturday the thirteenth of April. What do you make of that? I mean, it's the it's the fact that can't it's called Cantona sings Eric. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've seen well, he's seen. I've heard him before singing. You know what he's done and stuff, and he's got quite a nice voice. But I'm not sure he's going to fill the music hall with the vibes. Like, I mean, you know, have a lot of banter in the crowds, and I, I don't know. I, I think he will fill it easily. Easily. Oh, oh, no, I'm sure he'll fill it. I'm sure he will. But, I mean, people will want the football stories. They won't want them crooning away to Charles Aznavour or whatever kind of cover version he's going to do. So, I just, yeah, uh, I don't know what he's going to do in terms of visuals, if there'll be, a, a you know, a, a 30 greatest Cantona moments, including the Kung Fu kick into the uh, Crystal Palace fan. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'll, I'll, well, as soon as we finish this, I'll probably go and look and see how much the tickets are. But if they're more than 30 quid, I think it's a no for me. Yeah, I, I can see you going to that. I wouldn't be caught dead. Like, but, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it brings it. I mean, I suppose it's different than these kind of legend events where people, you know, they, they get them out and they get them into a sort of a middle-sized club sort of thing and they serve you some dodgy food and a couple of pints and they do Q&As and stuff. So I guess he's doing what he loves, I guess. But um... Yeah. And sticking with France, uh, we've uh, just had the final uh, round of um, group games in the uh, Rugby Champions Cup. And we've got a draw for the um, last 16, Terry. Six British teams in there. Well, actually, six English teams. Yeah, quite, yeah I was surprised at that. That was really good. They did really well. Yeah, no no Welsh teams, no Scottish teams, unfortunately. Two Irish teams. Oh, Glasgow, and, uh, Glasgow Warriors were not. Oh, Glasgow Warriors, you're right, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah Glasgow Warriors. So um, I, I watched a bit of the uh, sale against um, uh, La Rochelle game yesterday. <laughs> La Rochelle, of course, two-time winners and... Um, uh, got off to a bad start in this year's uh, tournament, but uh, Gregory Aldred's back after injury, and they looked formidable again yesterday. Yeah, just the fun. hardest pack going, and uh, I can see them. Although they got an away draw in South Africa against the Stormers, I can see them making their way through yeah. the competition to the final stages, and I'm sure the likes of Leinster will be quaking in their boots because they know exactly what will happen. Yes, they... but I, I watched oddly the Leinster Leicester game, which is always going to be repeated now in the lockout on Saturday. And obviously, Leinster were 12 players from the Ireland starting 15, probably maybe 11. There was maybe one short. And it was, I'd never really noticed this before, but Le Leinster, the way they play was very much the way Ireland play, obviously, obviously. But it was very much, they got to the point, they knew the game was won, and they didn't really push it that much until they suddenly decided, well, we'll, we'll get a fourth try. To make sure they had a home game, which they could have got any time, but it was pretty good. Unlike Ulster, who were just absolutely dreadful. Um, yeah, they were well beaten. I think the day before, on on the on the afternoon, and Munster played well and lost in the last minute to fourteen players. But um, but I mean, yeah, yeah. So they got an away tie against Northampton and uh, Leicester at home to uh, to Leicester, as you, as you pointed out. Okay, so those games will be coming up. We, we I think we'll come back to the uh, Six Nations before well, it starts. Was, anyway, was one interesting it? story actually. And I didn't. I don't want to mention it because I'm, I'm wrong. But they talked about Dupont. So Dupont obviously is going to play for France um, once the uh, for the Six Nations. But apparently he's got some sort of deal where he's going to go and play sevens after that. Right. He may not be available for Toulouse for the knockout rounds later on. Oh. Um, so some sort of strange deal that had been done before that he would play sevens for potentially for, for France, I think, and these, you know, global sevens tours. Um, so they were going to have to try and look at that. But I thought it was a bit strange, but I'm sure it was the point they talked about. So, Yeah, and somebody else has done something a bit uh, strange <laughs> is Lewis Reese Zamet, the Welsh winger flyer, who's... <laughs> um, Basically, um, jettisoned the sport to go off and play um, football in the US, or certainly enter the camp to do it. Yeah. So apparently, Warren Gatland only found out an hour before he was going to release his team squad for the Six Nations, and someone said, "Ah, no." Um, I don't. Know, I guess Lewis maybe Louis called him. I don't. I don't know. His agent called him, and his mum called him. I don't know. But um, yeah, very strange thing. I mean, obviously, and what's even funnier is it's not funny particularly, but. This week, Netflix are launching their big Six Nations full contact documentary, and they've got a a, a star player from each country, and he is the one for Wales. <laughs> he's, he's over all the 
all the merchandising, all the kind of promotional videos. It's Lewis and it's Stuart Hot. It's, no, it's is it not Stuart Hot? It's um ah oh God, um Reed Finn Russell for Scotland, and um but yeah, so he's yeah, I'm a surprised, but he has to join some sort of a camp to get in. He yeah, can. That, that that's it. So basically, it, it, you you've got to prove yourself uh, before anybody's prepared to put the books on the table to to sign you. And there's a very high failure rate. Uh, you know, it's also like football trials isn't it really not not everybody gets beyond uh uh the first base and um it's got a like a, a notoriously high uh casualty rate as well so you've got a, a mm. relatively young player who okay so he's probably thinking uh wales are definitely in a rebuilding stage in terms of the international team so he he could he could stay at home and mm. do okay i guess without any chance of um uh, you know, top honours in the game, either you know, in terms of uh, Champions Cup yeah. or um, uh, the the Six Nations, or he could give this a go uh, in America, and if it doesn't work out, he'll still be young enough come back, assuming yeah. that he hasn't got injured, uh, to play in a much better Welsh team. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's probably yeah, because he is quite young. You're right. So, and he, you know, he's playing. He's already playing in the English Premiership, so it's not like he's playing for one of the sort of the front the Welsh teams and. Um, so I guess, like I say, he goes across, gets in, plays for a year. Doesn't I mean I don't I kind of think what role he'd play. Would he be a? You know, he's pretty fast. So would he be a running back? He's probably too tall for that. Mm -hmm. uh, he's going to be quite stocky. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see where he ends up, and he'll certainly get paid more for it. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, if he makes it, uh, I think he'll get paid a lot. So yeah, you know, good luck to him. Um, don't fancy his chances much, but um, uh, not nothing ventured, nothing gained, as they say. Um, just one before we go, it was interesting yesterday watching the Toulouse game. I'd forgotten that Blair Kingholm, the Edinburgh fullback, had joined Toulouse and he was playing great yesterday. So, uh, I mean, that's certainly good for Scotland and the Six Nations, but we'll come to the Six Nations another another day, I'm sure. So, good. So, it's a farewell to Kinghorn. Get it, Terry. Yeah. And it, it, it's a hello to Moving Pictures, um, a band who have centered their career around um, uh, the Rush oeuvre, I think you would call it. Yep. Um, they recently played in Aberdeen two, two nights plus a, uh, an afternoon session and we caught up with uh, guitarist Steve and um, keyboard and bassist Owen uh, before their second gig here's our interview Owen's a bit softly spoken so just turn yep. up your uh, volume a wee bit for this here's the interview so one um, question and I hadn't really thought of this beforehand but is do you find you're busier because Russia are not playing now? Because obviously they're, they're not. I mean, uh, is this recording? It is recording? We're live now. Oh, yeah, so. Um, uh, we're busier because we have a lineup now that can gig as much as me. Right. As Steve, guitarist, don't you? I've been gigging full time for 30 years, but in other function bands and weddings and pubs. Okay. And pubs. Um, but the lineup we've got now with Owen uh, on bass, keyboards, and vocals, and Jamie Dunleavy, who unfortunately can't. Do the interview. No, she sends her apologies. Mm -hmm. uh, she's on drums, and um, we're all. I, I'm and I'm managing the band as well. So now I've got a lineup that can gig as much as me. I'm doing a lot more. So okay. we're busier because we've got a lineup that can do it. Can do it. Uh, okay. And uh, but definitely there's a there's a factor of that involved. The fact that Rush will never gig again. It makes our purpose a bit more. You yeah. know, sort we, of we, we were just talking about that in the pub tonight, and you think, would they play with another drummer? No. You, you think not? No. no, we know not. You, we know not. Okay. Oh, so. I, Alex had an interview recently, and he simply can't tour. He, yeah, he's got a yeah. Um, I hope, I think they will do something together again. 
in the studio, they might get a wee one-off gig here and then. I've no idea about okay. that. But I don't. It, the, it doesn't make sense for it to be a rush again. They yeah. can't just bring in another drummer for like a one-off gig. We call it rush. Okay. You sure. know, but I mean, yeah, we we don't really know. But I think it's it's. Uh, I think that rumor should just be nipped in the bud. It's just clickbait. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Want that. Like, oh, rush! I found another Danny from Tools in the playlist. Dave Grohl, it's like, ah, that's just clickbait, you know. So, so last night you did Permanent Waves last night, tonight you're moving pictures. What, what's your favourite Rush track? That's a difficult question, but, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm Route, I'm route yeah. 1, I'm Spirit yeah, Radio, I love that song. Choose from. Yeah, I mean, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. What's yours, did you say? Spirit Radio, that's, that's mine. Uh, I just uh, love that guitar riff at the start. Uh, I, know. I just love that, I think, so. Well, I know, I know, I know, spirit is, is brilliant, I mean, it's, it's Spirit is a really uplifting. Yeah. You, you can't help but get no, exactly. Energy, but there are so many, you know, brilliant musical moments, lyrical moments, uh, in so many different songs. I couldn't pick one. Okay. Be hard well, to today, one right now, right now, you're hard pressed. Today won't press. Well, you've got or a, even an album. Got a I'm going to hand, pre- hard press, and then I'm thinking about myself. Because <laughs> <laughs> you picked, you picked Sanadu, didn't you? Yeah. yeah, probably I'd go for Sanadu because you got great dynamics in that song, you know. It's Good choice. Yeah, and that always goes down great. The minute we pick up the guitars, the double necks, they yeah. get a cheer. The guitars get a me, cheer. Oh, wow. Amongst Xanadu, La Villa Strangiato, YYZ, Show Don't Tell. About twelve of us. <laughs> <laughs> so if you push for one, you got sixteen. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, that's fine. No, it's, it's difficult. It's impossible. But no, there's something I mean, about every song that is yeah. really it just it just keeps on going because, like, say, I've been playing weddings, function bands, and, and I didn't even mention Clockwork Angels or anything like that. End of the, I mean, it's yeah, amazing yeah. stuff. Between Sun and Moon, what a song. Yeah, so it I, is great. How many times have you seen Rush then? <laughs> uh, me, I think I've seen them fifteen times. Okay. I went abroad to see them a few times as well. Okay. Since Signals, Signals on the first two. I think I'm, I don't know, four or five. I saw them the first time on um, the Joe Hans tour. Okay. Uh, Birmingham Any Six, so I'm on that. What album was that? <laughs> Somewhere. Is that Holy That was Holy Fire. Yeah. Um, and then I didn't see them for years, largely because I couldn't afford to. <laughs> on, a, on a meager teacher's side. A poor teacher. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I saw them again on um, Snakes and Arrows. And I saw all the ones that came to this country after yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go and see Have you have you met Rush? Like? Have you actually? Uh, I've had meet and greet. I had a meet and greet with Alex and Getty in New Orleans. We went to get a forty show there. Oh, nice! And so that was great. Just to shake their hands and thank them. You folks, that was lovely. Yeah. Um, and I met Getty uh, after his book talk in Glasgow the other week there. Okay. I had a wee meet with him afterwards because I, I, I. Do Rush Fest Scotland? Yes, oh well, yeah, I saw that. Charity yeah, thing. Um, so it's kind of through those connections. We, I pass everything through their lawyer, who's also Neil's estate lawyer. Sure. So anything I do for the charity thing, I always clear with them first. So this, you know, he's really nice guy, really chatty guy, really easy to get on with. So I just mentioned, because um, Rush Fest Scotland were bringing out a whiskey in Neil's memory. Oh wow, the professor. Yes, okay. so it's based on his favourite tipple. Right. I'm not going to name any names. And then, <laughs> and it's really, really, it's a really nice whiskey. We've it is very s- nice. Tell us where it comes from. So we um, actually had a sample I had to take to Getty. So that was my, I've met him before. I don't, I'm not, uh, yeah, I just suppose do get starstruck, but I wasn't wanting to meet him to meet him. I thought, this is kind of important. You know, we're doing a whiskey for your, your mm. mate and... Hugh Symes done all the artwork, you know, the, sure. he's been their artist since 1976 or whatever. Um, Caressa Steel was the first album cover he did. Um, he's became, safe to say, a mate 
because we brought him across for Rush Fest Scotland last year sure. as one of our VIPs, along with Terry Brown and along with uh, Neil's sisters, Nancy and Judy. Yeah. Oh, wow. So um, uh, Hugh does all the artwork for our songs for Neil tribute albums. We bring one of them out every year. And he did the artwork for the, the whiskey as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I got in touch with the lawyer and said, look, could I meet Gary when he comes to Glasgow? I'll give him a sample of whiskey. And the packaging's not finished yet, but I had a, a Jutley print of all the artwork that Hugh had done, signed by Hugh with a little note to Gary. But just the way it worked out, they couldn't uh, take any gifts as such. So sure. it was still a pleasure to meet him. I shared a, a Henderson's Ale beer with him, and, and he, he signed, he put up really lovely words on the programme. He signed a programme nice. for me. So I had a chance to chat with them on, from a, with a charity head on. Sure. You know, not, not from a, yeah. the moving pictures thing. And you, you, you've raised a big chunk of money uh, into six figures now, is it? For, I, for... Uh, just over £112,000 yeah, was donated yeah. to charity since the first Rush Fest Scotland event in 2014. Yeah. So we've had the events of the year, but when lockdown happened, that I had the idea to do the tribute albums. So and now we're back on. We do the events every year, and we do an album every year. And now we're going to do a whiskey every year. Oh wow! <laughs> we thought that's a good idea. And so this one's called the Professor Volume One. Nice. So we've got a cask to be continued. Oh, that is. <laughs> it's like the album. The first of the first album was like Songs for Neil Volume One, yeah. and I'm going to. When we got to volume three, I thought, three's a good number, let's stop there. Mm-hmm. I thought, mm-hmm. Now I'm thinking, nah, let's keep going. Hugh was up for it, doing the artwork. There are dozens, if not maybe close to 100, Rush tribute bands out there. Yeah. And other artists like Jacob Moon. I don't know if you've heard of Jacob well, Moon. I, I listened to some of the stuff on ah, there, actually, so I'll find it. So he's a bona fide artist in his own right, but he does a couple of Rush covers. So he gives us those songs. To, so it's not just Rush tributes, it's other artists that play Rush. Okay. Are putting, giving us the songs. So... My plan now is just to keep going until we've got at least one version of every Rush song on a trivia album. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so we're working on volume five just now. Okay, you, you, you've got quite a long way to go. So, yeah. I, I couldn't help but notice uh, you, you've obviously got a big string of dates coming up in the UK over the next couple of months, but in amongst um, your, your dates in April, there's a Rush Fest in Brazil. There is. Tell us more. <laughs> There is, so, um, I, that came around through the, the Rush family, didn't it, I think? Um, Rush Fest Connections was, again. Yeah, the Rush Fest Connections, and um, the organisers over there um, basically said, oh, we'll fly you out to come and play this thing, so because, honestly, we couldn't afford it to do it otherwise. So, yeah, they're flying us out to Brazil. So that's um, it, fantastic. To, to play over there, which, I mean, I think, Ought to be extraordinary if you've seen mm. the real DVD. Right? Yeah, the whole crowd sitting along to White Wax. Well, South American crowds are crazy. Though, exactly. So for any and I think there are uh, two thousand. They typically get 15, between fifteen hundred and two thousand. So yeah, there'll be a decent crowd. So hopefully there'll be some. Does some interesting energy there? Yeah, is that is does it going to represent a certain challenge in terms of the technology side of things? Because yes. I'm assuming you're not going to be able to take your own gear over. Exactly. So we have to. A higher equipment so the guys are, are helping us out there we, we usually help each other out when I bring tribute bands across here and um, they can use our equipment mm-hmm. so we all help each other out and um, but we there are a couple of specific bits of equipment that we kind of need yeah. but we're speaking to the bands over there and they're all they're, they're helping us out yeah. we will work it out yeah, yeah that's not going to stop us <laughs> uh, one thing I was thinking about I watched some videos of you on YouTube and something I'm looking forward to tonight is that you guys sound so good I mean you say sound and the 
bands that play covers sometimes don't sound like the band. They play the song and they have the melody and the lyrics. Uh, but how much work does it take to get to sound sound top of that class? You know, it's really um, good, I think. I'm, 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 I'll let Steve talk for himself in a minute. For myself, um, I mean, my voice is my voice. It's not an impersonation. Dance. No, that's no, just that's right. Singing. I can't do anything about dance. Um, I, to be honest, obviously, I kind of think a lot of the time I sound more like Sting than I do like Gain. But Sting does rock. I kind of like um, but no, the the voicings on the bass. The bass that I'm using is um, uh, a, a Getty Lee signature US right. bass. I did buy a Japanese one first, and it's great. I love it. It's a gorgeous instrument, but it doesn't have uh, the teeth. The US one has a completely different voice. The story behind it goes that um, the founder custom shop wanted to build, you know, the, the absolute genuine replica of the Getty Lee bass, but he wouldn't let them take it apart to find out what was in it. Oh, right, because he bought it, and this is the famous bass he picked up in a pawn shop in Kalamazoo. And he once said, You know, for all I know, the, the reason that this bass has this particular mojo is because it's broken. Yeah. The last thing I need is some wise guy in the custom, the custom shop to open it up and go, Don't like the look of that, and fix it. He said, It'd be the end of the whole thing. So, the one I have is the result of him finally caving in and letting them take okay. it to pieces to see what was going on in there. And it's electronically as well as cosmetically around so okay. that's part of the sound I use um, a certain sound technology that he was using yeah. the keyboards are the most time consuming um, because when they, when they started to bring keyboards in kind of Farewell to King's uh, Hemispheres are the only two albums really where he ever uses one keyboard voice if you get anything else out of the body, you can dial through the whole keyboard, you will not find the rush sound. It's always layers. Uh, so yeah, okay. them, for example, there are six voices happening simultaneously. Oh, wow. Um, and if you don't, it just doesn't sound right. Now, even then, I would haste to add, <laughs> um, you know, the, the sounds that I've got there are approximations. Yeah. Uh, they have to be because I can't afford, you know, I was talking about <coughs> um, the overhang keyboard that he was using on. Um, mirror pitches yeah. gets you the sound like the time I saw the growl uh, yeah, yeah that's right yeah. Growl. and all of a sudden if you look at the revolving noises and camera eye that happen behind the sustained calls because you know folk will pick up on that won't they they'll pick up they'll listen to the song go you, you know, missed that out or something and I try and find ways around those so there are occasional pieces that um, I mean for example in the middle of um, natural silence uh, there are three parts of that that I've sampled sound effects directly from the record because there really isn't any other way of doing it you know, they're not reproducible um, mostly I try to do things in a kind of more analogue way and build up the right layers with yeah. right biases under them to, to get that same timbre same quality and are you are you both triggering stuff with your, your you know, pedals and I stuff like trigger, that as well I trigger a lot of stuff yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of time dancing going on. <laughs> but yeah, um, the guitar sound that's a, a whole different ballgame. I've got the same idea. It affects a. I've been playing guitar for like fifty years now, and um, you'll get you. I know, <laughs> and I and I've I've listened to Alex for for most of that. So he's a natural influence on me anyway. Yeah. So I've always liked about 
for the guitarists out there, but a chorus yeah. has always been part of my sound. Um, so the effects that I was that I knew anyway were part of Alex's sound. Right. So when they came to playing Alex's tunes, um, I've, I, I know what effects to go to. You know, like you mentioned, Spirit of Radio. Yeah. The flanger and the the. Yeah. Is it a flanger or a phaser? It kind of changes. I think it's a flanger. I think it's a flanger. I use a flanger, but maybe a phaser okay. on the album. Yes. And another thing with the sounds, um, I use a Kemper for the guitar nerds out there. Was a guitar profiler, a guitar amp profiler. So we don't know owns the same. We don't have any amps on stage. No. Everything's like it's all at our feet. Yeah. And I right. go straight into the desk, the, the, ah, the right. mixing desk. So all the amps, but mine takes snapshots of, it's taking snapshots of real amps. There's an online rig exchange of 28,000 profiles. Um, is it a modelling amp? Is no, that it's a profiler. It's a profiler. That's a, that's a unique thing about Kemper. It's not a modeler. Modelers where you get geniuses um, hearing the sound and mimicking it yeah. with their, their wizardry. Uh, the profiler, you actually, you'll get a great sound. See if you're in Marshall Stack or whatever amp it is, think of any amp in the world and you get a really good sound. So you'll dial in that sound with that tone and then you mic it up. You then mic that up, send the mic into the Kemper. Yeah. Then you take a lead out of the Kemper into the amp and you hit profile. I've never done this yet because it's been done 28,000 times already. There's enough online. You just go, oh, that will do. I love that one. So it sends, you hit profile, it simulates sends like white noise into the speaker for that particular send. The mic takes a snapshot of it for seconds yeah. and it's in there. And then there's YouTube videos that shows this. People are A-B-ing, like the real, say, Marshall Stack compared to the Kemper profile. They can't tell the difference. Yeah. It's been revolutionary in the guitar world. Yeah. So that's why, and I base, even though I've got 28,000 rigs at my disposal, <laughs> I base, I use like three. <laughs> and it's based on, Alex's sound they had on the Fairwater Kings tour, different stages, CD3, um, and he used the high watt, 100 watt head, 4 by 12 cab. So, because um, as I mentioned earlier, we, we did a thing earlier today called Anatomy of a Rush song, so yeah. Yeah. Owen and I are going to repeat ourselves here today. Yeah. But um, we have the technology to try and replicate the sounds that, see, for the guitar wise, that he might have had on each different album. Because you can get the books and, right, he used that amp on that album and this, the bit. We have the capability, but like Alex did himself on the last on every tour, as far as I know, he had his rig for that tour, and that was his sound for that tour. Yeah. You know, chop and change sound, but he wouldn't try and replicate, you know, that sound because that's the sound he used in the studio for that yeah. song. And um, so that's what I've done. I've got about five or six main patches, and there, that's my sound for the evening. You yeah. know, I, I just yeah. bounce between them with all the different effects. So, so technology has helped you uh, uh, achieve a very good uh, oh, sound profile. But it, you mentioned earlier about um, Owen and Jamie coming into the band. I mean, when, when you started uh, doing Rush material, I take it it was probably a bit more limited in terms of what, what you could do with the rest of the band. So what songs can you play now maybe that you mightn't have entertained before? Is there anything in particular? Uh, that... Nothing really guitar-wise, because well, before I had the Kemper, I did have like, you know, the big valve amp. It was a Hughes and Kemper, which Alex used himself. So I based that one on an amp that he used for a couple of tours. Um, but, you know, we're, Jamie excluded, we're getting on a bit. So we don't want to be humping big valve amps and four by twelves about. So this that saves our backs and yeah. it makes more room in the van for more guitars and keyboards and stuff. Oh, you know? So um, the so there's nothing I could do but 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 with Owen on board and like talked about the keyboards. 
that's been our only limitation in the past, but now Owen's up for anything and everything. Good lad. And so, uh, yeah, it, it just all comes down to, if we decide to do a song, he'll go in the woodshed, the, the keyboard parts, yeah. and come back and we're ready to go. <clears throat> okay. But I think it's, it's, it's all been like post pictures. Yes. I'll Ah, yes. oh, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We used to concentrate more on the Teddy Brown era. Yeah. And so now, if anything goes, there's, 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 from from yeah. there's only one album we don't do anything off yet, and that's Vapor Trails. Yeah, well, yeah. So we, we do Secret Touch. Secret Touch. We've recorded that, but we've never played it live. Yeah. Because? Like Secret Touch. Um, Just Jamie, that was with the rhythm drummer. So okay, right. So. Jamie, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm still torn between that and One Little Victory. I'd love to play that, but I think that's a bit of a beast in the vocal department. That's a stinker. <laughs> so we have to limit that as well. So yeah. I, I, we have to take that into consideration okay. as well. But what, what, what would be your opinion about Vapor Trails? I mean, it's a tough sounding album. It was a tough listen, I mean, particularly the original mix of it. Yeah, uh, it was I, uh, harsh, really yeah, harsh. I love it, actually. I like the original as well. For all its, I know people didn't like the production of it, but there are some absolutely fantastic songs on it. Mm-hmm. Great songs, for sure. Um, and, you know, especially, you know, all of the Secret Touch on it. Um, and some of Neil's most poignant lyrics as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know, I think lyrically it's yeah. a stunning album. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that kind of idea of triumph over adversity. And mm-hmm. Ghost Rider. You know, yeah, yeah. Ghost Rider. I mean, oh. Oh, right. yeah. lyrically it's. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's stunning. And it is raw. Um, I mean, in some ways. I mean, I remember. <laughs> Having waited behind a long hiatus, where I think probably everybody imagined that Russia might be a comeback, and I was as surprised as anyone when they uh, did bring the album out. And I remember going into Lancaster HMV to pick up the CD, stick it in the car in the car park, and one little victory started up. And for until the vocals came out, I was like, shit, they give me the wrong CD. They <laughs> uh, give me some indie band or what the hell? Because you start in with that huge, angry, furious uh, you know, tone, rhythm section. And then you get like a, almost a surf style. That's all right. You know, yeah. East Coast surf right. style electric guitar comes into it. You know? uh, that's great, right? And then, boom, everything just drops off. A, a bit of a therapy it's session, I think, really, wasn't totally. it? Totally. Oh, and, and it's brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Okay. And then the remaster, in some ways, um, it's very good. It's clearer. It's lovely. Performance quality. Yeah, of course, it brings everything out. But I actually think it does just lose some of that sound and fury. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think that's... I mean, I have to say, my cousin Andy is also a Rush fan, so I've solved that problem. Just turn it up. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there's extra uh, guitar solos and stuff in like Ceiling Unlimited. There are. Wasn't the first mix. There's one. Okay. So you're not just getting a clear sound, you're also getting a little well, yeah. bit extra yeah. Yeah. stuff in the mix. It's a proper remix, not a remaster. I love the original. Yeah, right. you've got to you've got to go do your sound check so I mean thank you very oh, much for your time you yeah I'm looking forward to it it's a pleasure and uh, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll see you in uh, an best hour or so with the rest of the yes, tour indeed. as well pleasure right. all the best thank Thanks, you guys thank you guys thank you right Terry they were uh, an interesting pair of lads to uh, yeah. uh, talk to and um, you, you know I'm not. I'm not a great fan of tribute bands. Um, I can only think of a couple I've seen to the that I actually enjoy, but I did really enjoy, um, their yeah. set. And yeah. you know, if you look at the set list, it's you know not far off what Rush would do in terms of uh, 
you know, uh, I was concentrating on one album. They did Permanent Waves on the Friday night. Yeah, yeah. And then Moving Pictures was the one that we saw yeah. on the Saturday night. But you got a whole selection of fan fra- favourites, but also uh, a whole chunk of, you know, album track, back catalogue stuff as yeah. well. So, yeah. you know, it was an interesting experience for me. Yeah, I, 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 the only one I've ever seen. I think I've seen the ACDC one up here actually before. I'm um, certainly not been to many, but and the couple of things that took I took away from it was that a they were very, very good. I mean, there, there's the sound I thought was great. Um, the, the the set list I was really surprised how long they did. I mean, I think if you added up, there's you know two hours forty five minutes they played from half eight till back of eleven, and um, not much let up on that at all. So it was a good hard shift for them. Um, and how many people had been to see both nights and possibly been to see them as they talk in the interview in other venues as well. So they seem to inspire a sense of loyalty to that, that Rush probably would be happy with. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. But, you know, I think they did make the point themselves in the interview that uh, and it's uh, an advantage for them to be playing that set now because Rush aren't playing it yeah. because for obvious reasons, Neil Peart's uh, you know, been dead for a couple of years in the band. Or show no inclination to tour that that set again. So it's the fans yeah. probably the fans' best chance to see this set play. Oh, I think so. And you know, I've not seen Rush for I can't. The last one I saw was in the Hydro in Glasgow, which comes at Clockwork Angels, maybe is that what it was? Um, but I thought that yeah, you're right. And I think said some people would never have seen Rush possibly or not for a long time. But um, now they genuinely, I thought they were great. I thought the sound was really good. I thought their their playing was fantastic. I thought. Um, the guy looked like Yeti Lee. I don't think that was that intentional, but I mean, <laughs> it, it genuinely, you know, from from a side angle, um, it looked like him. Um, he didn't attempt a high voice, I guess, but that would be silly, I suppose. But uh, no, fantastic, I think. And, yeah, I mean, I think it was like a fair approximation of, of what Rush sound like. Um, Jamie on the drums was excellent as well. I mean, they were all very competent uh, musicians, and it, it it sounded, you know, much like the real thing, yeah. I would guess. I mean, they're playing. I'm looking at their dates here. They're playing all the way through till the end of March. Here, um, they're going to Rio for a rush rush fest over there. We were paying for them to go over, um, because we're talking about having to rent equipment and stuff. And so, and obviously, there are lots of other rush tribute bands that tour around and do these things. But I think they're certainly, yeah, certainly. I mean, on top of their game, I think. And yeah, um, and they're coming so back that way next year, apparently already booked. So yeah, they are. And so, so the next phase of the. Uh, uh, the tour is done in uh, England, so Northampton, Bradford, Grimsby, Gravesend, Bedford, Milk Keynes, London, and then they're back up in Scotland in uh, in the middle of March, playing some of the places that that, that they've skipped for yeah. the 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 first part. And it, on it goes. I mean, they're yeah. they're 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 um, they got gigs lined up for the latter part of the year as well. So so good luck to them, and um, hats off to Steve for. Um, his charity work as well with yeah, uh, there is a fortune for that, isn't there? For that, yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. Right, okay, on we'll move. Terry, uh, you've been to see um, British Lion Steve Harris's uh, side band. Um, it, it, this is not a tribute act to no. Iron Maiden, so uh, tell us a bit about your no. night at the Lemon I, Tree. I, so, yeah, I, I was quite surprised at that. I wasn't sure that was just I was, a, I was free, it was a Tuesday night. I thought I'll go along. Um, long time since I've seen Iron Maiden as well. Um, thankfully, I missed the support act, um, whose name I forget now. It was Tony Moore, was it? 
Yeah, Tony Moore. Yeah, who and I, I met a couple of guys when I walked in. And they said, "Yeah, he was." Although I've seen people say they enjoyed him, so you know, fair play to anybody who enjoyed it. But they thought he was dreadful. Um, I missed it on purpose because I, I wasn't that that keen. But the British Lion, I thought were. Uh, I mean, they've got a couple of albums out. They've seemed to have tours periodically in between when Iron Maiden not doing really much. Um, you know, they they do exactly what they say in the ten. There was not much innovation in it, but they sounded pretty good. There's some really some really good songs. Did drag a bit towards the kind of the. Halfway mark, they had a couple of sort of filler songs, ended really strongly. Um, Steve Harris is great, runs about the stage, got his foot on the on the on the monitor all the time. You know, it, it could be Iron Maiden if he if he didn't. The two guitarists, uh, one who looked incredibly like Frankie Boyle, by the way, um, <laughs> Spain, and all sounding immaculate. I spoke to the sound guys afterwards, who are uh, well, one guy was certainly a Maiden guy. He does for Iron Maiden. And he said Steve gives him a call when he wants to do a tour and he comes and helps him. But uh, yeah, all in all, I mean, they've been touring around. I think Lemon Tree was one of the smallest venues they've done. They've done bigger ones. Um, and I think they're doing a bunch of festivals as well. I don't know what Iron Maiden's plans are for the next 12 months, but uh, he certainly seems to really enjoy it. Um, and they had a fantastic range of merchandise. I've never seen a range of T-shirts and <laughs> um, stuff that they had for sale. Like, so. Yeah, well, I mean, apart from an Iron Maiden gig, of course, where, like, I remember uh, the one time I did see them at the old uh, exhibition centre in Aberdeen, the queue for the merchandise was just colossal. Oh, <laughs> well, they had British Lion sliders for sale, which I thought was a very unique. I was kind of looking around, and it was fairly much a denim and leather, as you'd expect, crowd. Yeah. Mainly, mainly guys, there's a few ladies there, actually. So I, 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 had to, I was so late, well, I wasn't late in, but... It was so busy. I stood right at the back behind the mixing desk, and um, but no, I, I have to say, if you get a chance to go see them, yeah, definitely. Like so. And is there more than uh, the thickness of an envelope between uh, what they do and what Iron Maiden do in terms of the 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 you know musical style? They're a bit on the more lighter side, I would say, probably not quite not quite the anthemic songs, and you know, Iron Maiden would do um, kind of sounding more. How would you describe it actually? But just not not quite the same. That more sort of short and sweeter songs, more of a pop, more sort of pop orientated. Maybe not quite Def Leppard, but um, certainly not quite as heavy as as, as Iron Maiden would be. But uh, be more Judas Priest actually. Thinking about it, okay, yeah. And I'm just I was listening to Judas Priest some of their new tracks the weekend. That's a pretty good decent sort of thing. But uh, knowing they were playing, I'm sure they said they were playing the older festivals this summer as well. So. But uh, I didn't hang around at the end, unfortunately. Apparently, they do come out to chat, but I didn't. It was already quite late. And... Okay. So, uh, you know, they were uh, not breaking the law, uh, but somebody who was breaking the law was Jamie Dornan in uh, the BBC's uh, The Tourist, which is on to a second uh, season. And this is an odd show now, Terry, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm I'm watching it as it comes up on the TV rather than on, on the iPlayer. Yeah. And uh, they must think... Anybody watching this that Ireland's an incredibly lawless kind of place? Well, I've, I've only watched the first one, uh, and maybe that tells you something. Um, but I really enjoyed the first series, because the first series was in Australia, already, and it's first perfectly plausible he's there, and he wakes up, doesn't know who he is, and then has to find the story, and he meets this policewoman, obviously he's in the second series. And, and uh, so it's quite quite a good show, and obviously there's Colombian baddies and all sorts of things, and but yeah, it does feel like they've spun it out to a second one, really. Yeah, I mean, Ireland is a bit lawless, I guess. There has been a history of these sort of things go on, like so. Uh, well, yeah, but but uh, I mean that there's people getting slayed left, right, and centre, and uh, the cops seem to be not uh, taking a blind bit of notice to it. Uh, and in fact, one of the cop uh, characters in it, uh, the few cops that we see, 
uh, is a very conflicted person himself. So anyway, I mean, I think it's supposed to be a bit lighthearted uh, and whatnot, and there's various kind of, um, I don't know, you'd, you'd call them um, streams of consciousness kind of bits uh, where, where it, it just goes off on one and yeah. uh, doesn't really progress the story very very much further. No, it's it's certainly not as bad as um, what's that one? Is it Blood Bloodlands. Bloodlands. Yes. I mean, series one wasn't great. Season two of that was just dreadful. I don't think it's been gone for an, another season after that because that was old Jimmy. What do you call him? And it was pretty poor. But I think Tourist was obviously quite successful for the BBC. So I guess in order to sell it to Jamie Doran, I think they probably said, "Look, we'll set it at home." So yeah. yeah. You haven't got to travel to Australia, and he is quite. A nice I think guy. I think he's actually a better actor than uh, James Nisbet. I mean, I was watching that yeah. uh, Jimmy Nisbet Christmas thing about the the two Santa Clauses. Oh god! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he he really he really wasn't trying too hard, in that, was he? No, I think Jamie Doran. Oh, saying that you should watch Jamie Doran if it's ever on Wild Mountain Time, where it's a bit like what's that film? Is it The Quiet Man? It's, okay. a bit, it's a little twiddly D Irish story from the west coast of Ireland, and he is Irish, but plays it with a ridiculous accent. I don't know why. Maybe they asked him to be more Irish. I don't know, but um, it's a bit ridiculous sort of thing. Yeah, but, but it is like his Northern Ireland persona is, is kind of more believable than than uh, uh, Nisbet's one. So yeah, you should watch the rest of the series. I think is he's more kind yeah. of naturalistic in terms of the way that he 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 uh, f's and blinds, if you like. I mean, he's had a funny. He's had a bit of a funny career because obviously he came to when he started off in that um, Northern Ireland show, The Fall, with um, Gillian Anderson, where he plays. Aye, a, but he was a male model as well, wasn't he? He was, yeah, and he plays a serial yeah. killer in that, which is a totally creepy character. I mean, he's absolutely creepy. I mean, a friend of mine um, went to view a house in Belfast, and he he got to the house and uh, said to his wife, "Right, we're not we're not even going in." got there and then he realised it was one of the houses that he'd attacked the girl in in Belfast <laughs> built it there and he said I just just can't see this house without that storyline um, so and then he went on to do Fifty Shades of Grey which is a completely weird sort of story um, obviously from the books and stuff And but yeah I'll, I will watch the rest of it I think Mrs Lynn wasn't that keen to watch it anymore but I'll probably catch it up <laughs> good okay uh, that's uh, it wrapped for another Four Idle Hands podcast we'll be back before you know it so till the next time Terry see you soon bye